Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What are some of the most common misconceptions about Weatherby? Just to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm not much of a basher and going to a bunch of negative things. It's, it just wasn't a great place to manufacture things, let alone firearms and ammunition. It's the same thing my grandpa did in the 40s and 50s. It's just with a new era of technology. So it's hard to make, it's expensive to make, but it's strong as heck. It's a great action. You know, you just got to pay a little bit more for it. So we don't take that lightly, but it means, stop me if I miss something, Ron. I do know this, it can help, not cure, but it can help with an improperly placed shot. But at the same time, point fingers at them, but I go, hey, until you've been in their shoes, you don't know everything that took place. And um, Roy wouldn't like that carbon fiber stock. Or Roy wouldn't like this cartridge. Well, Roy was a businessman too. Hello, everyone. Say, I have been wondering lately about cartridges and ammunition and its availability and new cartridges, as many of you are as well, because you write and tell me as much. Why is it that there are so many different cartridges popping up when the industry doesn't seem to be able to fill orders for traditional cartridges? What exactly is going on? And I thought I would go to a source. This might not be the source, but somebody inside the industry who actually makes ammunition and might have answers to these questions and a lot more about pressures, and high-velocity ammo, and exactly where our cartridge designs are going in the 21st century. And this is someone who's been involved, or his family has been involved, since about 1945, if you'd like to go way back. And if some of you are getting an idea of who we might be talking about today, well, it's Weatherby. And this is the third-generation family member, owner of Weatherby, Adam Weatherby. Adam, welcome to Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, be on here today. Well, we are excited to ask you some pointed questions about ammunition and Weatherby and, and all the rest of it. And I'm sure that everyone and anyone out there listening knows the name Weatherby. And I think it's associated with eh, more or less high-end rifles, but pretty powerful rifles because Weatherby has always been the velocity champ. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And it's funny, you know, we're known for our rifles, but I think like you and I were talking earlier, uh, I mean, when my grandfather started this company, it was based off high velocity, what he saw as ballistic superiority. In fact, it was, you know, when you say, hey, what's the problem he solved? He went on a mule deer hunt, injured a deer, stayed awake all night thinking we got to provide more killing power and started fire forming cases. And the rest was history where he just said, hey, speed kills. And I'm here almost 80 years later because he had that kind of. Uh, mindset and philosophy in the 40s. And that's 
that's kind of the foundation of our company is high speed for sure. High speed. Yeah. Are you sticking with it with your new developments? We are. You know, we have with our RPM cases, we have two rebated precision magnum. I know, I think you've done some videos and films on that I've seen as well. Um, you know, they're not traditional for Weatherby. They don't have a belted, uh, you know, there, there's no belt at the bottom. There's no traditional rounded shoulder. So we are getting away. Now, those were purpose-driven for our smaller Mark V six-lug action to really provide magnum performance in like a five-pound rifle. So it's kind of a niche for sure. Um, but, you know, we still have things like the 3378 and 338, 378, 65, 300, a lot of real fast ones that are out there. But we have um, we have strayed a little bit and diversified a little bit into some different purpose-driven cartridges along the way. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you want to capture market, you want to provide what your buyers want. If folks want a certain caliber, yes. you're going to probably make something. And if they want velocities and speeds, yep. or these days it's, it's fast-twist barrels and longer, more efficient, aerodynamically efficient bullets, right? Correct. And obviously bullet development over our history has come so far. And so, yeah, you're talking high BCs, um, faster twist rates, um, shorter barrels are real trendy right now as well, which is hard for us because, you know, people are wanting to put a suppressor on there. I've certainly been hunting with that, but you do sacrifice speed uh, more on different cartridges than others. But, and there's a lot of people trying to kind of Hop in the game and figure it all out. And if you didn't grow up with this kind of stuff, like maybe you or I did, Ron, it's a it can be a confusing, twisted game to get in the midst of all this stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's why people are yeah. complaining, I think, about new cartridges. They haven't figured out the old ones yet. And then there get to be so many with similar names and numbers and all the rest of it. And I always say that's just a part of the game. You know, if you're into golf, you understand the terminology and the clubs and the numbers and everything. It's the same with hunting. You just have to jump in to get started. Exactly. Now, I want to go back to the high pressure thing because there are a lot of misconceptions about Weatherby cartridges. Back from when sure. I was a boy in, in the late 50s and early 60s, everyone would say Weatherby and we'd all think, my gosh, this is the world's most powerful, fastest cartridge. They, they're so powerful, they have to have an extra belt of brass around the base of them <laughs> to hold all that pressure in. Sure. So obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Could you tell everybody about the design of the original Roy Weatherby Magnum cartridges, and did they have so much more pressure than other cartridges that they needed a belt on them? No, no. You know, really, um, it's a lot about case capacity and how much powder you're going to fit in that thing. And so, you know, originally when he was taking some of the H&H cases and different things and fireforming them in the early years, uh, before he really started making brass, he went to Norma in about 1959 or 1960. So it wasn't for about 15 years that he was really, you know, producing in mass quantities, any sort of our brass. Um, but it was really about case capacity. I mean, you look at the 257 Weatherby developed there in the early to mid forties. And, uh, you know, you have, you know, a larger, um, you know, belted case, certainly, but a lot of, a lot of case capacity, a lot of powder capacity, but neck down to that little 25 cal bullet. And um, at the end of the day, even for pressures, you know, we have uh, SAMI, our industry, if people aren't familiar with it, kind of our uh, industry um, organization that helps us uh, align and keep things safe out there. Um, you know, we maintain all of our loading within SAMI pressure. Um, and so hand loaders will get it and say, well, we can, they can do a little bit more. But, um, you know, when we're mass producing it, we, uh, we keep it within SAMI pressure. But it's really a lot about case capacity. 
Um, you know, the rounded shoulder that my grandfather had, uh, you know, sure, was it a little bit more case capacity? Um, you know, as far as the way that it chambered and different things, there were certainly some differences. A lot of it was about a different look. My grandpa was also, not only was he an innovator, he was a genius marketer. And I love to say that's how I'm here today is you have some people that can invent stuff, but they can't sell it to anybody. You have some yeah. people that can sell, sell stuff, but they can't come up with anything original. My grandfather had both. And a lot of his case development and even then rifle development, when he came into the high-end wood stocks, the Monte Carlo, cheek piece, and the diamond, a lot of that was to say, I got something real cool and you're going to look good doing it too. And, and so it was really a combination of both in the early years. Yeah, he was just adept at that. Everything, you know, starting off with designing the cartridges, getting those velocities, and then marketing it and coming up with, well, he moved to where, where was he starting out in? Back in Kansas or Tennessee or someplace? And then he moved to California? Well, he's from Kansas, but he didn't start any of this until he moved to California in the early 40s. But he okay, was born so in, he's already there. In, in 1910 in Kansas is when he was born. Okay. So he's in California. I mean, it's a smart move. You cal they called it, the Weatherby style was also known as the California style. And back in the 40s yeah. and 50s into the 60s, this was racy stuff. Everybody was into speed and racy angles and stuff. And his designs, I think, reflected that. But they were also effective. His gun stocks just didn't look fancy and racy. They actually controlled recoil pretty well. They did. It was, it was the whole thing, and it really... You know, we're next year will be our 80th year. In those first 15 years, he developed a legacy brand. And it really was about, like you said, up till from 45 to 60, his trips to Africa proving his cartridges. You know, he was friends with all the Hollywood, you know, John Wayne, Roy Rogers, and Gary Cooper. He had his unique look. He had the performance, the accuracy, the velocity. And that was really in those first 15 years, it got established. And all my dad and I've been trying to do, you know, the next 70 years is not screw up what he started. So, <laughs> but you guys are now venturing out, as we mentioned earlier, you've got yeah. the newly designed cartridges that don't have the double venturi shoulders and such. And you're, you're offering different looks to your stocks and are not all the racy 1960s style that your grandpa had. So you guys are innovating and, and sort of putting your own brand on it now. Are, are you feel like this is an important part of your ongoing legacy or the legacy that you are? Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Building. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good question. I think people, um, you know, it's funny how many people we have say, well, Roy wouldn't like that carbon fiber stock or Roy wouldn't like this cartridge. Well, Roy was a businessman too. When my dad 
came out with really the first fiberglass stock in the industry in 1983. My grandpa said, that's the ugliest thing. You're never going to sell any of them. Well, then as soon as we sold a bunch, my grandpa liked fiberglass stocks. So (laughs) there's an element to it where what my grandpa did in the 40s and 50s, it was turning things on its head. It, It was different. Well, you fast forward, you have to stay up to innovate and do different things now. Um, you have to do things. If we just had the original Mark V Deluxe and that's all we had, well, I wouldn't be in this giant facility with all these employees. It'd be me and five guys out in a wood shop. And so yeah. we have to grow. And with that comes new technology. You know, we have a folding carbon fiber stock, but it enables us to go further, faster, longer back into the backcountry. You know, we have a lot of different technologies that we're able to integrate. And I would like to say it's the same thing my grandpa did in the 40s and 50s. It's just with a new era of technology. So we're trying to innovate and do things different now, just as he did then. It just looks different. Yeah. Well, it also performs a little bit differently too. You're not just making things so that they look different. This practical applications, you mentioned backcountry, your, your rifles these days are way lighter than the rifles from Weatherby were back in the 50s and 60s. Correct. We're, we're actually making our carbon fiber stocks uh, in-house here in Sheridan, Wyoming at our facility from scratch. We've designed it and we set out to say we want to make the lightest, strongest stock. We have a 20-ounce rifle stock that will withhold several thousand rounds of a 300 Weatherby and not crack a darn thing. And so, you know, I mean, I love wood stocks. I was in Africa two years ago. I took this high-end classic Weatherby one, kind of an ode to the past, and my grandpa would be so proud. I show up, I'm in Namibia. I got, it's, I mean, it's a high-end stock, special kind of Africa laser checkering on it. And we say, well, let's go sight in our guns. So I pick up the rifle that's in a soft case with a, a leather strap with those brass pins. You know, the ones I'm talking about. I sling it on my shoulder on the, in a, the brass pin falls out. So the rifle goes back like this, lands on its muzzle. And I cracked my stock in half on the first day of the hunt. And I went, this oh. is why I make carbon fiber stocks. Cause it happens, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, that now that doesn't mean that you don't still sell good looking walnut stocks, no. right? <laughs> we do. Yeah. And, because I was good. We do both. Yeah. And I was going to say, I have been slinging uh, with leather slings, walnut stock rifles over my shoulder like that for all my life, and I haven't snapped any of them off yet. So that was a fluke for sure. It was. <laughs> well, now, when you said you were making some new lightweight rifles and stuff, I asked myself the question, how light are they? Sure. We have some that are four and a half to four and three quarter pounds. Um, so we have, yeah, we have some right under five pounds that we can fit our 6.5 RPM or 338 RPM in and get what we call magnum velocity. You know, if people know the 6.5 PRC, if you're not familiar with the RPM, it'd be similar velocities, but that 6.5 PRC has a magnum bolt face. The RPM has a standard 473 diameter standard bolt face. We're able to put that in a rifle that tips just under five pounds um, with a 24 inch barrel. So a lot of guys are saving weight by lobbing off barrel, but you're losing velocity or maybe you're 6.5 Creed more, but we're talking... Magnum velocities, 24-inch barrel, and a sub-five-pound rifle. Um, that's wow. uh, We make titanium actions here in-house that's using titanium, and it's using carbon fiber, obviously, as well for the stock in order to achieve those things. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's pretty nice because not only do you have 
uh, the velocity you need in a smaller, lighter bolt face like you mentioned. You know, so many of us keep fe- focusing on short action. It's got to be short action. You save some weight. You're saving weight with a standard length action because of the bolt size. So there are different ways to skin this cat, and I think you've proved it with that. Yeah, And then then you end up with pretty weatherproof rifles too for a country like Alaska. Exactly. And so one of the unique things is in our Mark V action that my grandpa developed in 1958 with the nine locking lugs and, you know, it handles the 460 Weatherby. Well, years later, we designed and developed a six lug action. It's still long. Everybody always thinks long and short in in most other action types like a 700. The Mark V, we have two long actions. It's in a fat and a skinny. And our six lug uh, has that standard bolt face, but it's still long. And so that's why that 6.5 RPM is a rebated rim with the standard bolt face so it can fit in there, but it's a long, skinny cartridge. So we're still able to get some good powder capacity, but put it in a very slim, lightweight rifle. Now, that just reminded me, the 6.5 RPM was based off the 284 Winchester rebated rim case. Is that right? And then you stretched it? Yep, we called it internally for a while the 284 stretch or the 65284 stretch if you took that. So it, it the bottom part of it still is the, exactly the same and then we just added on brass. So it is a new parent cartridge. It's you know, you got to have even for making brass, your cup sizes, all those things. It's a brand new parent case that we made. Took it in the 65 RPM and then a couple years later put it in the 338 RPM that as you noted on your film that I saw is just about 338 wind mag velocities, but on a standard bolt face. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. This that's kind of innovation I think Weatherby has been famous for ever since Grandpa started it. So I think you're keeping up the family tradition here. Now, yours, as I mentioned at the start of this, you're third generation. So it was Roy, your dad was Ed, and then you came along, took over the company roughly, what, 2017 or something? January of 2017. Not bad, Ron. You are a good historian. Well, so you've been at it long enough now. And now, were you responsible for moving the company to Sheridan out of California? Correct. One of the first things, probably even back before I officially took over as CEO, but kind of in that co-role with my dad from, say, 2014 to 2017, I began to look at, 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 at really the next generation. And what became clear to me is that California had a very rich history. We already discussed that. Um, and our business is very thankful for that it did not present a vibrant future for us. And so it was real clear in about 2014, 2015, I started looking at other states. My dad knew that, but he was more towards the end of his career. He'd been doing it for several decades. Uh, Let me tell you, it takes a lot of energy to move a factory, to move employees and to start all over. And I don't ever want to do it again. But when, when we started to look, my wife and I really just said, hey, if we're going to keep continuing this family legacy, it ain't going to be here anymore. It's just changed too much. And there, and, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not much of a basher and going to a bunch of negative things. People know that, um, you know, um, that, that it's, it just wasn't a great place to manufacture things, let alone firearms and ammunition here in the 21st century. And so we started looking at some other states. Um, we wanted to stay out West because we felt that was just our roots, um, both from our products, our hunting, where we grew up. And so, you know, we looked at about a half a dozen Western states and uh, we'd kind of wrote off Wyoming originally. I just thought, golly, all there are is like antelope and elk and a bunch of animals and there's like five people. And I'd like, how are we going to hire a workforce and actually do business? And I met then Governor Matt Mead. We formed a friendship. 
And uh, between him and the Wyoming Business Council and the local economic development here in Sheridan, Wyoming, it just ended up being a match made in heaven. It, it has been, um, I'll tell you what, we doubled the size of our 75-year-old business in the first three years after being set up wow. in Wyoming. So Talk. that's how that's how good it was for us. Yeah. So you had to make a, a whole new plant and move all your equipment out there. And I mean, this is big equipment. You don't manufacture guns with little hand tools anymore. You've got these giant CNC machines and stuff, right? Correct. And really what part of it was too, though, is we had to outsource so many things to different sub suppliers in California because we couldn't afford to do it there. Uh, between labor and the cost of you know doing business there, keeping the lights on. I mean, when we moved to Wyoming, we doubled the size of our facility and our power bill was five times less. So wow. you start to add that up over all the elements of the business. So we had to sub everything out. When we moved here, part of our strategy and my strategy was really to vertically integrate and bring more manufacturing back in-house. So one of the things we were able to do was invest in a lot of new state-of-the-art equipment after moving into a new state-of-the-art facility. And that really set us up for our growth. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You've got new machinery and you might as well make some new designs, new rifles. Now, now are you, you guys are, so you're making all of your rifles in-house there in Sheridan now, right? Um, the 307 and the Model 307, which was new here this last year, and the Mark V, uh, we do predominantly most things. We still do, I mean, there's a lot of parts that go into a rifle. They're all U.S. built and largely done here in Sheridan, Wyoming. For instance, our barrels were contouring, chambering, threading, doing all that work here in-house. We're manufacturing our titanium receivers, doing a lot of bolt finishing, making the stocks. But we do sub out some things depending on what it is to other U.S. partner partners that we've had really for decades in a lot of cases. Um, and then our Vanguard rifle, the, the barreled action itself is still made in Japan as it's been since 1971. But we actually bring it here and we do uh, fluting of barrels and uh, threading of muzzles, all our Cerakoting stock work and final assembly here in Sheridan. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Wyoming on that product. 
Okay, now, just to clear up a little confusion here, we're mentioning Mark V rifles, nine bolt and six bolt lug, six lug bolts. And then we've got Vanguard popping up at 307. Kiss, run down the line for me. Let's yes. do it chronologically. What came first? Mark V was in 1958. Uh, original design, never been knocked off. It's hard to make, it's expensive to make, but it's strong as heck. It's got a 54 degree bolt lift, comes in those two action sizes that I mentioned earlier. And those are things that we predominantly do here in Sheridan, Wyoming, um, and uh, still have that in our line. It's our flagship. It's our top tier. Um, it's not cost-effective to machine. In 1958, they didn't have CNC machines. And so it's highly highly um, inefficient to make, but it's a great action. Um, and, you know, you just got to pay a little bit more for it. Um, so in 19, 1971, my grandfather partnered... Um, you know, in Japan to come out with a more affordable product or whether it be Vanguard, which has been around since 71, same factory, has hammer forged barrels, great guns, still Seba Moeg guarantee, but those are sub thousand dollar, you know, retail guns, you know, uh, where our Mark V starts more at $1,500, say in the retail range, the Vanguard is more starting at maybe 600 or something like that. And, you know, a lot of guns in the $800 range, things like that. And that Vanguard is a two lug 90 degree bolt lift. Yes. Yep. Two lug 90 degree bolt lift. Um, and uh, correct. And so we still, like I said, are, are doing those today and selling a lot of them actually. Do you mostly chamber those in traditional cartridges rather than whether it be magnums? You know, we do both, but our percentage say in Mark fives of Weatherby magnum cartridges is much higher than our percentage of them in the Vanguard, largely due to ammunition cost and efficiency loading and all those things where we sell a lot of 6.5 Creed mortars and 300 wins and seven rems and 243s in the Vanguard, you know? Yeah. Then what about this 307, this new rifle? Yeah. A lot of people would say, okay, why the heck did you come up with a, a third? You already got two bolt action rifles. Um, and uh, it, why a third and why the model 307? First of all, 307 is our area code for the entire state of Wyoming. So it was Wyoming proud that we'd come out with that. Um, second, the numbers we say each have a representation where it's our third rifle action. There's the three. It's uh, built on a 700 footprint. Uh, there's the seven, meaning that you can use aftermarket accessories from triggers to stocks to bases and rings and so forth on the Got top. Got it. Yeah. And, and uh, there's really nothing for the zero, but we always say at the end, it's zero because there's nothing else like it. But um, it's our it's our take on the 700, and the reason we did it was a, a few different reasons. One, the Mark V and Vanguard are more closed system, meaning uh, other than the HOA 1500 sharing the same footprint and everything as the Weatherby Vanguard, uh, there's not a lot of other aftermarket things if people are wanting to trick out their guns in different ways. Mark V is one of a kind, same thing. There's a lot of people where the 700 platform, if you would, in the last especially even just the last decade, a lot of new gun makers, custom gun makers, a lot of companies that have really grown have used that platform and it's become much of what the AR has to the semi-auto world in, um, in making it where guys are like, cool, I'm going to build up a custom gun. I'm going to put a carbon fiber barrel or a heavy contour steel barrel, chassis, you name it. And so we didn't have anything in that space. And so um, it was also in between on a price point where our 307 starts more at 1000 to $1,100. So it was also a middle tier for a price point. And it also was really um, going after a new customer that maybe had said, you know, 
I don't want to go after those closed systems. I, I want something a little bit more like this. Uh, maybe some people that aren't even, you know, most of us are hunters, maybe first and shooters second, you know, that we're just passionate hunters and guns come into it, where the 307s also geared towards a lot of people who really want to spend a lot of range time and get those aftermarket accessories. So it was really branching out. We did uh, design it here in-house in Sheridan. Our engineers did. The bolt's a very unique design. Um, it's actually a toolless uh, takedown on the bolt. Um, and so we used an M16 style extractor, um, you know, kind of the larger bases on top. We took a, what a lot of custom 700 gun makers are doing, and we put that into, I don't want to say mass production because we fall in the middle. It's production. Our sweet spot is we try to offer custom features at a production price where we're still Weatherby, we're top shelf, but it's not a $10,000 rifle by any means. And so we've really kind of packaged that in with the new Model 307, Ron. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If that gives us something to build on in the future. I think that's probably a pretty smart move from you guys. Have you paid any attention to what seems to be popping up now is this uh, replaceable barrels. Uh, you, you build your actions with your head spacing so well defined that you can make an aftermarket barrel and drop it right into that rifle. So it makes it easier to swap barrels. You don't necessarily have to go through a gunsmith. I'm sure you're aware of that. Are you, these 307 actions going to be set up for that at some point? Um, correct. It is. There are a lot more different designs out there um, for sure on that. We are offering a custom builder's action. Um, it's actually on our website too, because we know that guys are, are using that. Um, and so obviously the recoil lug, it is where both our Vanguard and Mark V also, by the way, um, have an integral recoil lug. This is a separate recoil lug. And therefore, the head spacing can be um, can be made off of that recoil lug, and gotcha. so um, so we have all the dimensions and different things and stuff like that that's online, and the specs are on there for our custom builder action. Yeah, yeah, you're looking ahead to the future. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to clear up some misconceptions about Weatherby that I've had over the years. Most of those have been cleared up by talking to folks like your dad and you. <laughs> yeah. But not everybody gets to meet you yeah. guys at your shows and sure. talk to you. <clears throat> so what are some of the most common misconceptions about Weatherby as a brand, ammunition, rifles, anything that you guys hear most often? Mm. Yeah. Well, you could probably answer better because I'm on the inside um, for sure. But, you know, I think... Um, you know, one of the things that I tried to do, just like my dad did following my grandfather, was you really have to, with an older brand, you have to rebrand and redefine yourself over the generations. Um, and so where a lot of people for a long time thought all Weatherbees were expensive, they're all wood stocks, um, you know, they're, and, and, and didn't understand that there's a whole new generation in line of things that were in there. And so we've spent a, a lot of time and money and, and uh, different creative ways to, to really rebrand ourselves. Just like look at an automobile maker, you look at anything. I mean, any brand that's been around a long time, they have to constantly do that and kind of rebrand themselves. Or they think everything we chamber is in a large Weatherby Magnum cartridge that's, you know, burning barrels out. Well, yeah. we sell more Creedmoors probably than anything else. Um, you know, now do I go hunt with them? Absolutely not. But, um, but, <laughs> but, but we still do sell a lot of that. So, you know, there's a lot of different elements uh, to different things. You know, another funny thing is misconception is people think we uh, only make rifles. We, 
we sell a lot of shotguns uh, as well. And uh, so that's another big, big part of our business too. We have over and unders, side-by-sides, uh, semi-autos, um, you know, in our line. So, you know, there's a, I think people look to what we originally were and they pigeonhole themselves in there and don't understand uh, the expanse, uh, you know, of the line generations later. Sure, sure. Now, some of the myths that I heard growing up, yeah, uh, one you've already mentioned was the price and uh, and their their heavy rifles. The Mark V is a beefy, heavy action, as you said. It's built to withstand a four sixty. Um, and then the belt thing was no, that belt doesn't hold in any extra pressure. That's there for head spacing and all the rest of that. That's been pretty well cleared up. But what about pressures? I still think there are a lot of folks who think there must be some incredible chamber pressures in these cartridges. But you guys don't go over 65,000 PSI in any of them, do you? Absolutely not. No, everything is between 60 and 65 for the most part uh, speaking. And that's two SAMI specs. So, I mean, you can get online, Google the, the cartridge, SAMI specifications. And we do all, uh, most all of our loading in-house on all of our premium ammunition. So we're loading all the, you know, any premium bullet that we load, um, whether that be, um, you know, whether that be a Barnes bullet, uh, whether that be a Hornady bullet, um, uh, we're loading hammer now, we have Swift, all the different bullets. The, uh, we're loading it in-house. We do lot testing both at the beginning, throughout it, we stop our machines. We have pressure and velocity barrels. Universal transducers down. We got two underground ranges in our brand new facility, a 300 yard and a 100 yard. 300s used a lot for accuracy, but the 100s used almost exclusively for ammo development, for ballistics, and for all of our, our pressure and velocity P and V testing that we do. And everything has to be dead nuts on. And we try to have a very small standard deviation in that velocity where I will often grab out of the box ammunition and it will be single digit standard deviation in velocity wow. um, from round to round. I'm not promising that with everything, but it's not uncommon now. So we are, again, coming back to that custom features at a production price, we see ourselves even with the ammunition loading that um, it's it's a boutique ammo loading. I mean, it's not like the big boys. You go tour a Federal or Remington or Winchester, those are big operations. This is a pretty small operation, and so we really try to provide the quality there. But at, uh, nothing is over. Uh... You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Is over Sammy Speck on the pressures. Okay. Well, a couple of things that I want to touch on that you just mentioned. One is um, the price of ammunition. Because it's a boutique line, is that why the, on average you're looking at a much higher price for a box of Weatherby ammo? Yeah. And I mean, just to be perfectly honest, we do the loading and we take a lot of pride in the loading, but we do not manufacture cases, bullets, primer, or powders, the four components. So in other words, I'm competing against large brands. If they're making the brass, well, guess what? Whoever's making my brass, which we have about two or three different sources, well, they need to make a buck too. It's just how it works. So I'm sourcing those things. And, um, and so, uh, so that is not something yet that we are doing in-house. And frankly, um, any of the custom loaders that would be out there would experience the same things. Now, you go to 
a plant like Federal, where they're making their bullets right there and they're making their cases right there, they're able to keep their costs down. But as I buy those cases, um, you know, that we have designed to our specifications, um, then obviously that that's one of the parts of it. Um, the other one is the length, you know, the the time and precision. Every box, every single box is packed in by hand. So even cosmetic seconds and dings and everything. So, you know, we we also know that people expect one of the great things I did is inherit a great legacy. Uh, one of the pains about it is people have very high expectations of our brand. It's a premium brand. They expect quality craftsmanship, perfect ammunition. So we don't take that lightly, but it means the co- there's a little bit more cost into it and there's a little bit more labor there to get what we provide. Great. Yeah. And then the other question I had about was, how do you select your bullets? I noticed just recently you started using hammer bullets, which I've in the last three years been experimenting with and I'm really impressed. How did you find them and how do you decide whether you're going to load a Sirocco bullet? or a hammer or barns or anybody else's? Sure. No, you know, it's interesting during the COVID pandemic time when there was such a shortage on ammunition supplies, we found ourselves not able to get a lot of bullets that we'd got for, in some cases, multiple decades, even 50 years. And we weren't able to get it for 12, 18, 24 months. We went, we got to provide our customers with ammo. Um, They're depending on us for this. So we found ourselves talking to a lot of new suppliers, folks that we hadn't done things with. We're also loading Sierras now, the Tip Game Kings. We hadn't done that. We're doing a lot of different bullets. So Hammer's one of those. You know, they're up in Kalispell, Montana. We're out here in the West. They come up with a lathe-turned copper bullet designed for hunting. And I'm here to tell you that they are flat out the most accurate bullets that we've used in our line ever. Um, and so we found ourselves out of necessity going, we got to hit bullets. Now, the problem is we said, well, they got to meet our velocity requirements. They got to meet our accuracy requirements. They have to be commercially loadable. In other words, some bullets just don't work well in automatic loading machines. Instead of, we don't load on a hand press, you know. Uh, We do our big Safari ones, we actually do because the volumes are so low on our big Safari calibers. But anything 375 and below are on automatic machines. So there are a number of things that, and it needed to have the terminal performance and the penetration that we need at the velocities we need. So they have to tick a lot of boxes. So we found ourselves, um, for instance, the hammer came out of that, the Swift Scirocco. uh, We were unable to get, um, you know, frankly, our bonded bullets that we'd had for a lot, a lot of years and just couldn't get them. And Bill Hober down there is a good friend. And he started saying, Adam, these bullets are, you know, like, do you know Bill Hober, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, Adam, these are damn good bullets. I'm telling you, best bonded bullet out there. <laughs> Bill would do his That's thing. The guy. And so I'd go, Bill, let me try them out. And, you know, they're down there in Kansas. And we had phenomenal results with the Shrocko. And so we started putting that in, but it really came out of necessity. But as a result, here we are post-pandemic with, I think, the best lineup of bullets that we've actually had. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. I can remember back in the old days, you had fairly limited and they were cup and core bullets, and occasionally you would load something a little beefier than that. But boy, these days I look at your choices and I go, I don't know, guys, we're kind of on the same page here because I'm liking yeah. these same bullets. Been my experience yeah. with them. We got, yeah, we got burger in, burger in there too. We got a little different flavors. You'll have people that, you know, die, die by burger, people that hate it. You know, you have some of these, but we, our customers are diverse enough where we try to provide a little bit you know, a little bit for everybody, as long as they meet those criteria that I mentioned. Sure. Sounds smart. Now, 
talking about cartridges and bullets and all, got to thinking, how many different Weatherby cartridges are there with the Weatherby name on them? Shoot, is it 16 or 17, Ron? Um, <laughs> can, can, you know, can you run through them? Can you actually well, list them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I won't take in like 220 Swift and some of those, but I'm talking, and it's weird because we had a 375 Weatherby, but then we replaced it with the 378 Weatherby. But if you start at 224, which is its own case, um, which is kind of fun, but I mean, even it's bolt face again, not efficient at all, but it's fun, right? Yeah. The, two four, the 240, which is on its own case, which is very similar case capacity to an odd six um, on the 240. Then you have the 257 pairing case, which would be your 257, 270, and 7 millimeter, which would be like a 300 Weatherby in diameter, but shorter. Um, then you bump up to your 300 Weatherby case, which would have your 300 Weatherby, your 340 Weatherby, and your 65300 Weatherby. Um, which are which are all on there. Uh, correct. Stop me if I miss something, Ron, off the top of my head here. So there's eight. Then you'd bump up to our three set. Well, you have the 375 Weatherby Magnum, which was kind of then replaced later by the 378 Weatherby Magnum, um, much larger case, obviously. Then on that 378, you have your 416 and your 460 Weatherby. So we're up to um, we're up to 12. Then in the late 90s, my dad launched the 378 down into the 3378 and the 338 378, putting us at 14. Then you come I think up you to missed the, a, the 340 okay, Weatherby. Did you mention? I think you mentioned, I did. missed the 340. No, I think I hit the 340 on the, uh, I, I thought I did on the 65300, 300, and 340 because same parent okay. case. Then we come up to 65 RPM and uh, 338 RPM, which would be 16. Okay. Yeah, so, no. Yeah, you, you got the latest two in there, 338 RPM and a 6.5. Yep. <laughs> you think you're going to make some more? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Even at the beginning, you said, you know, well, golly, why are you guys, you know, making stuff? And, it, you know, what's interesting is people go, well, why are you doing that? But here's the deal. If, if I got 300 Weatherby on order and it's a different cup size and all that, and there's cups over here that work for the RPM, I can make the RPM. It doesn't. It doesn't compete with that, if that makes sense. We're actually in the best stock of ammo that we've been in a long time. During COVID, the spike was so high, even within our line. You think, well, wait, people I thought were buying nine millimeter, you know, five, five, six, and that's where all the the stuff was going to. It's true, but we tend to follow even those political fear spikes or whatever up and down that tend to happen. And so people would go in and they used to buy two boxes of 300 Weatherby and that'd last them the year or two. Well, they, they went in and it was out. And so when they finally saw it, they bought a case of 10 boxes. So that <laughs> happened. We ran out because, and in 21 or 22, we sold double the ammo as we, double that we did the year before. And we still didn't have everything in stock and customers were upset. And it's hard to crank things up like that, obviously. We've now stabilized and um, and we we have across the board once in a while, there'll be a certain case that we're out of here and there. But across the board right now, you can look in those two new RPMs. There's multiple loads. You'll see inventory on our website. All Most all of our staples. Um, oh, what is there? There's one right now. It might be the 270 Weatherby. That's our toughest. 
but it'll we'll be hopping out of that here in the next month or two. But your 257, you know, your staple Weatherby ones, um, we, you know, we we're doing better now to keep in stock the best that we possibly can. But great, great. Now I want to ask you, what is the rarest Weatherby cartridge? I think you mentioned it earlier. Which one is the hardest to find, even in collectors? I don't think you actually make it anymore. You're talking about the like the 220 Swift or the the 370 yeah 375 Weatherby it's pretty rare as well but yeah I think that that 220 now that wasn't a straight up 220 Swift though your grandpa had a different name for or it or the Rocket it? pardon me the Rocket yes rocket. the 220 yeah. I'm Will Cooper host of Huntstand's Make Your Mark podcast for even more content be sure to watch the original films from Huntstand presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern visit waypointtv.com to learn more Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Hey, Rocket. I, I misspoke earlier. Sorry about that. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. I thought you were mentioning. And I thought that's yes. got to be the rarest one because you almost never hear of it. Till you said it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. The Rocket. <laughs> I knew it as a Rocket when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what he just loved those fast, you know, moving things. Like even now we have in the 257, some real lightweight hammers that we're screaming up at 37, 3,800 FPS. And, you know, I know the trendy thing is heavy, high BC bullets, fast twist rates, but we still really love to push a light bullet really fast and have fun with it. It's, it's still a really good time. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it is fun. And that does some remarkable things, which brings up the, the whole idea of hydrostatic shock. Your grandfather, of course, kind of started that, and he will always be known as the godfather of hydrostatic shock. <laughs> what is your take on it? As a hunter, I've been aware of this all the, all my life, and i kind of on the fence and all. I just always like to hear what people's educated opinions on hydrostatic shock are. Sure. I do know this. Um, velocity can help. Um, it can help, not cure, not anything, but it can help with an improperly placed shot. In other words, if I have more, I mean, it's just, it's velocity and mass equals your energy, right? And the more energy uh, that you have moving in there, if you're slightly off, now I'm not talking about hitting them in the hoof or something, right? (laughs) But I'm talking about if you're in the money zone, but maybe slightly out of it, I do know, like you take one of those hammer bullets moving really fast. I have seen some devastating things happen, uh, you know, to the internal cavity. Um, that is there. I've seen a lot of animals just fall over dead really quick. Um, now there's no replacement for a good, good, a well-placed shot. And I'm not saying that at all. Um, that is incredibly important, but I think you do have a lot of people now with the technology, especially on optics. And then you take, you know, some very well-made bullets that are very accurate, some good bullets and people aren't running the numbers through in their head to understand when they're hunting in a hunting scenario that just hitting the animal isn't enough. There are minimum velocities and energies um, that need to be hit in order for that bullet to actually perform. And so whether that's 1,200 foot-pounds energy and 1,800 FPS, different bullets are going to have different things. I do think there are some uneducated hunters out there that think just because I can hit it because I have all this great technology and I'm a great shot means that it's going to be an ethical shot. And I, and I do believe uh, that, you know, 
understanding your velocity and energy and how that bullet performs is very integral to making sure that that animal does go down. Yeah, good point. You know what you said earlier about shooting them in the hoof. This literally happened to me. In your part of the world, I think it was in Wyoming on a guided pronghorn hunt. And the guide said, hey, what are you shooting? And I said, I've got a 25 odd six. He said, oh, God, that's perfect. That's perfect. They're so fast. You can hit them anywhere and you'll kill them instantly, even when you hit them in the hoof. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're up against. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But there is something to be said that when that velocity hits and that energy is there, um, that it, it does some devastating things for sure. And I, you know, I know you know that. Yeah, and I've certainly noticed that I've just I just can't depend on it. You know, I've had some shots where it was a perfect chest shot on a white tail and it falls dead instantly. And I thought, man, I must have hit it in the spine. And then when I do the postmortem, it was just a chest shot. But for some reason that hydrostatic shock killed it. I don't know if that's what did it, or if you hit that nerve bundle that people talk about, the uh what solar plexus, that's back in the gut, but there's one up closer to the shoulder, high shoulder shot. Is always great because it's so close to the spine, if not right on the spine. And then it also catches the tops of the lungs, I think, which is why it's so effective. But I just uh, can't make up my mind if hydrostatic shock actually does as much as they claim. But boy, it sure can't hurt. (laughs) It sure can't hurt. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Now, Adam, in addition to running this company, I know you are doing quite a bit of hunting yourself. Uh, I've seen a few videos with you and your wife, Brenda, in them. And it's all, it's all like she's quite a hunter, too. You guys, you're not just hopping on uh, back of some guy's truck and getting driven out to some field or they've got the big trophies waiting for you tied up. You're actually getting out there in the mud and the blood and the tears doing it, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a passion of who we are. I mean, we often say that. I mean, we are at our core hunters. And, uh, and to be out there, just like my grandpa did in the 50s, taking all his Africa trips and testing cartridges and rifles and things on game. Um, I, maybe I use work as an excuse, but I love it. We love to be out there. Even here in Wyoming, I mean, we do a lot of DIY hunting just out in public land. Um, I mean, last year I took uh, biggest bull elk I've taken at 12,000 feet, um, you know, uh, elevation on uh, on public land. And so we we do love to do that. We do a little bit of everything. I'm heading to Africa this weekend, uh, so we we still aren't far from that. Brenda got into it in about 2016, and she just all in. She went from being married to me for a long time. Well, I'm married into this. It's Adam's deal, and it's the rest of the family's deal, To We developed a woman's rifle in, in 2016 named after my grandmother named the Camilla, and she was a part of that. And uh, we do. We um, venture into the backcountry. Um, I mean, this last year. We were in the Yukon together. We were in uh, the mountains of Montana. We did about 10 days in the backcountry there, spiking out and, and different things. So we, um, you know, we love all kinds of hunting together. And, you know, we also are a bit of the face of the brand. There's a, not a lot of multi-generational family brands left in our space. Um, there are just a few, a few of us left. And a lot have been sold off or gone public or bought by private equity or done different things. And so we do also recognize um, that it's important for us to be out there, to be using our product, uh, to be enjoying the things that we do, enjoying God's creation and and uh, in doing that. But at the same time, you know, we'll make films or I'll be out there with some of the partners or people we sponsor. And and it's all also just good for our brand for people to go, wait a minute, this is a product that the guy running the place over there is, is uh, not just behind a desk, but, you know, him and his wife are out there like 
actively using this. Maybe too much, but um, but it's it's fun. No such thing as too much hunting, my friend. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. that that's really that's great. I'm glad to hear that you and your wife are doing that sort of thing. Um, and and I love the idea that you're still a family company. Don't don't generally think of that when I think of Weatherby, but but Hornady, Nosler, they're still I think family owned brands. There are a lot yep. of our best brands in this country were family started and family owned for a long time, and it seems like those are the ones that seem to last the longest make the best products and innovate. It seems like when they get bought up by some major conglomerate, they start to lose their way. And we've seen it happen with, with Remington um, and many other brands over the years. So more power to you guys for hanging in there. I don't suppose it can be easy as a small company. We tend to see a name like Weatherby and we think, well, they're this big rifle manufacturer, big company, but it's just mom and pop, really. It is. And you know, till you've really ran a business or done something, whether you run a small business on Main Street or a family business like ours, it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're responsible for it. And there's a whole lot of reward that comes with it. But I always say, like Spider-Man's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility. And there is still a whole, uh, <laughs> there is still a whole lot of responsibility. Um, there's liability. I mean, we're making, you know, I often say we're making products where they're putting 60 something thousand PSI a few inches in front of their face. We're making these products. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a big responsibility. We have a lot of people that work for us, um, which is fun. We get to employ people and help put food on people's table, but it is a lot of responsibility. And at the end of the day, uh, my wife and I aren't exempt um, from, from doing anything. At the end of the year, we had some things and updated a new computer system and it was this crazy December. And we were down here with the shipping department last uh, couple Saturdays of December, you know, with our shipping department, getting things out. So, you know, everybody sees us out hunting or, you know, thinks that we do everything, but it's still a family business. I know Hornady runs like that and Nosler, the Hodgton family, you know, there's still these businesses that are left and, um, and it's fun. It's, it's hard. Any of them will tell you it's hard. And that's why those that do sell out, people will, you know, point fingers at them, but I go, Hey, until you've been in their shoes and, and know what's behind those doors, you can't judge them. And I don't. And, um, uh, you know, I look at Remington, I look at a 200 year old brand and I look what happened to them and, and I know it's sad, but you don't know, you don't know the liability that was behind that. You just, you don't know everything that took place. And, um, yeah. so I tend to not point fingers because when you've been in that leadership role, it's hard to do at other people. Wow. So good, good attitude. Yeah. Well, Adam, I think, uh, you guys are doing just a remarkable job over there at Weatherby, and I want to commend you for it. And I want to commend you and your wife, Brenda, for uh, being being hunters, being active in the industry beyond just making products and selling them. I think it's important what you're doing. And uh, I guess I could probably speak for hunters across the country, whether they've worked with and used Weatherby or not. We can all respect you as an all-American company founded right here in America and making most of your products here in America, employing Americans and helping celebrate our freedoms as hunters and Second Amendment right gun owners. I think it just all comes together very nicely at Weatherby. I want to thank you for that. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate that. And we we try to do our best in giving back and conservation's a big part of it or Second Amendment. There's a lot of things out there that I want to make sure that my kids and grandkids can enjoy this in the future too. And uh, so we need to be just not takers, but givers also. And um, I hope that's, uh, what we're able to do here at Weatherby too. And I know, you know, you and a lot of people in the industry, those of us that are passionate about it need to make sure we're forward thinking as well. And I look at the legacy that my grandfather and father gave me and not just in the company, but I'm talking, 
I'm talking be able to have firearms to, you know, the right to bear arms. I'm talking about conservation to be able to go out and hunt the animals that we do. Those are important things. Then there are threats against them. And I think we all need to be strong advocates for it too. And so whether we were not only passionate about firearms, but we're passionate about this being able to continue on for the years ahead. Yeah. Great philosophy, Adam. Well, everyone, you've heard it here from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It's pretty impressive to have a third generation American company like Weatherby. I think we're lucky to have it here in this country. And it's a good example for all the rest of us to sort of live up to their whole philosophy, their attitude, their work ethic, and, and uh, what we all get to reap as a reward of this. So, uh, Adam, thanks for coming on and talking with us here at Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. I hope to see you down the road, preferably out in the field over a campfire with a hot barrel. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it, Ron. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Until next time, keep the faith, hunt honest, and shoot straight. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv